Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So Trinity Sunday is the Sunday after Pentecost. We are able to celebrate the Trinity after we have remembered the descension of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which was last Sunday. And so all over the world, there are Christians that are mindful of this. Perhaps they are re-engaging with the doctrine and the theology of the Trinity. And one of the best parts about being a United Methodist is that one of the founding voices, one of the great theologians of our faith, John Wesley once said, wonderfully, that if you think you understand everything about the Trinity, you're probably wrong. And so there is space for us to continue to wrestle with the Trinity, what it means for us and how we engage with it as Christians that are living in 2021. And the beautiful thing about the Trinity is that in its very nature, it allows us to explore not only our relationship with individual persons of the Trinity, but with the Godhead, and especially with one another, as all of us have different experiences of the Trinity. Now, throughout the book of the Bible, there is not one reference to Trinity. That is a word that was developed later in the unfolding of theology. But the pieces are there. And so without a formulaic verse that says the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we have glimpses at its genesis. We are able to find and trace back the revelation that is the Trinity. Here in the letter to Romans, this is Paul's final letter. He is imprisoned in Rome and he knows that he is not going to leave alive. He is going to be martyred for his faith. And so with the impetus to give every last exhortation, give all of his wisdom and help to encourage those that will continue beyond his life, he has written this letter. And in this letter, we find him putting together the pieces that will eventually become our doctrine of the Trinity. He mentions the Spirit, the Spirit of God, which is our Holy Spirit. He explicitly mentions the Father and also Christ, the Son. Here he is giving us the basis for understanding that all three persons of the Trinity work together. It is a wonderful thing to be able to celebrate the multiplicity of the revelation of God. God has not just come to us in one, and if we don't get it, we're lost. Instead, time and time again, God has revealed God's self to us in multiple persons, perhaps so that in our moment of need and as we mature in our faith and continue to walk all of our days, that at least one will resonate with us when we need it. It allows us to have the opportunity to experience God in many ways, just as we experience one another in many ways. Now, some of the erroneous ways of speaking about the Trinity is to say that these are just simply roles that God is filling. That is something that we ruled out a long time ago. No, they are actually distinctive persons that are mysteriously and yet holy in being their combination of the single Godhead. We don't believe that God was just playing the part of the Father and then playing the part of the Son. 
But there are clear places all throughout the scriptures where they are in concert with one another. They are engaging with each other. Jesus, throughout his ministry, continued to go apart and pray to the Father. And then, promising his disciples on the eve of his betrayal, that when they would no longer see him and encounter him in the exact same way as they had for the past three years, that he would send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with them, to guide them and remind them of all that he had taught them. And so we see that there is a connection and a way in which they are working together to help us experience the fullness of God. For God is too big for any human mind to fully encapsulate and grasp. God is so vast and so marvelous that the only way we can really come to know God is when God is gracious enough to give us these persons that we can begin to read about in the scriptures, experience in our missions and our ministries, and above all, have a relationship with them. And throughout the course of our lives, we might feel more closely drawn to one than another. We might find ourselves really emblazoned by the concept of the Holy Spirit. We might find ourselves really feeling comforted to know that even after we lose our earthly parents, that there is still that divine parent that is with us in God the Father. Or for some of us, it was the revelation and the connection to Jesus Christ, God the Son, that radically altered our world. It altered how we think about ourselves and it empowered us to take those next steps in our faith journey. All of those are gifts and they have been given to us because above all, God yearns to be in relationship with us. And it is a marvelous and, and truly amazing thing to read the scriptures and see those instances when the different persons of the Trinity are actually in conversation with one another. Those moments that are sometimes depicted in our stained glass windows where you can see that God the Father was sending the Holy Spirit like a dove upon God the Son, the Incarnation, and Jesus Christ, and proclaiming, this is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. To see that not only are they there for us, but they seem to be helping the earthly ministry of one another. And relationship is what it was all about. All the way back into the beginning of the scriptures in the book of Genesis, God seems to be motivated and driven by relationship to create not only people to be in companionship with one another, but to recognize in the second creation story with Adam that it is not good that he should be alone. And so God sought to create another human being that would be the partner that would allow an earthly relationship along with a heavenly one. And then God cultivated these relationships with the patriarchs, with those that had gone before, until eventually the people had fulfilled the commandment in the first creation story, being fruitful and multiplying. And in doing that, they became the people of Israel, but they were suffering. And so God came to them and utilized God's presence as God the Father in order to bring them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt to the foot of Mount Sinai. And there once more, God revealed the desire to be in relationship with a people. And it was then that the covenant was inaugurated at Mount Sinai. And the very basis, the essence of the covenant, which is a lot of chapters and is then reiterated in the entire book of, Ex of Leviticus and then enumerated again in the book of Deuteronomy, the entire point was this. I will be your God and you will be my people. 
it was explicitly stating a relationship that each individual would also be a beloved part of a community and that God would be with them individually and communally and that they would be in relationship with God. And to emphasize this, God the Father asked them to build a structure that would be the very center of their community. And thus came the tabernacle, that first portable worship space, God's first tent ministry. And there they would build their tents that they were living in during the wandering in the wilderness years around the tabernacle that God would literally be the center of their community and at the center of their lives. But that was not sustainable. For after 40 years, the people had continued to be fruitful and multiply, and it was time to usher in the era of the promised land. And so God brought them to the promised land, and they entered in, and they settled there. And there in that land, they were able to continue to be fruitful and multiply. And God had given them at the covenant of Mount Sinai, the recognition that they were not going to be a perfect people, that they were going to make mistakes, even when they were trying to be faithful, that they would sin. And so in the covenant is the way to seek reconciliation, not just with God, but with one another, that the laws and the commandments were to help them return to a right relationship. And in doing this, God provided them the means and the encouragement to rejuvenate their relationships. And then as they entered into the promised land, what they found was that it could overwhelm the sacrificial system that had been set up. Over the generations, as they continued to, to grow in number, you could run the temple sacrificial system 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and not be able to fully reconcile humankind. And then God decided to do a new thing. God came in the sun. And in the revelation of God the Son, what we ended up discovering is that God was widening the circle, creating new space. Before, God the Father had a very distinctive relationship with those that were of a lineage, those that had joined into the covenant by virtue of a traceable genealogy. But now, through Christ, all who wanted to embrace the relationship with God Almighty could do so through the gift of faith. And so once more, God said to a people that had not known God, you too are mine. And a relationship was forged there. And for those of us that have Gentile roots rather than Judaic ones, we should be very glad for this widening of the circle. And it could have stopped there. In fact, a lot of the early writings of the New Testament reflect that they didn't really understand how the Holy Spirit was working or that it was co-equal with the Father and the Son. And so they were wrestling with what was next. But the book of Acts is very clear that the Acts of the Apostles begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that in that day, God decided to be with us in a radical new way. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of a piece of God's self for every person that opened themselves up to receive it. Amen. That it wouldn't be something that you had to test to receive. It wasn't something that was privileged for just a few, but instead that God would give a piece of God's self to every person that wanted it and create a new relationship. The one that Paul articulates to the Romans, that we have been led by the Spirit of God 
and are children of God. And not just children of God, but heirs of God. God hasn't just adopted us. God hasn't just claimed us in theory. God has told us that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven, that there is a place for each and every one of us there, and that the Holy Spirit helps to guide us to those gates. And so God has done something radical in the Trinity. God has provided us with three distinct and holy ways to be in relationship with God's self. And we get to experience that in worship in a way that is completely different from anything else. We here at Crozet are very fortunate to have a permanently consecrated space, the sanctuary. And here, after it was built and after it was furnished, and when everything was ready, clergy consecrated it and asked that God would allow a piece of the Father to be here. And that's why if you come here when no one's in here, you don't feel alone. For a piece of God is always here. God the Father allows a piece of God's self to dwell here and be present no matter what. So when you come by yourself and you kneel at the altar rail, you can feel that God is truly here with you. And then Jesus, knowing that at the end of his earthly ministry, he was going to ascend, and that he wouldn't be visible in the same way, told the apostles, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there with you in a new way, but no less fantastic. And so as long as there are two people that show up to worship, Jesus shows up here with us, and we're able to have worship with God the Father and God the Son, but it is completed. The capstone to that worship experience is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we can feel that, that movement of the Holy Spirit, that connection, that urging, that revelation that happens in the midst of worship because the Spirit is working within us and over us. We are able to feel God at work because of the Holy Spirit. And we bring the Holy Spirit, those of us that have been baptized and received it through the laying of hands, but we also invoke it repeatedly to come and fall afresh on us, to show us new things, to open our eyes and our ears so that our hearts and our minds might be transformed. And that happens in worship in a way that doesn't happen in other ways in our lives. We are able to experience the fullness of the Trinity in Trinitarian worship. And the sad commentary about Christianity across the family lines, across denominational structures, is that we can't agree on baptism. We can't even agree on Holy Communion. The one thing that unites all of us in Christendom is the Trinity. That we can stand with Catholics and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Episcopalians and Anglicans. We can stand with Baptists because the one thing we agree upon is that God has revealed God's self to us in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And while we acknowledge and mourn the tragedy that we can't gather at the baptismal font together because some of us will baptize young children and babies and some of us will not. We can't even agree on the mode. Are we sprinkling, pouring, or immersing? We can't agree on Holy Communion. Is it transubstantiation, consubstantiation, a holy mystery, or simply a remembrance? But instead, it is our relationship with the Trinity that allows us to have the hope that we can be together, that we can kneel at the same altar rail, 
that we can sing the same hymns, that we are able to find a commonality that isn't about what we do, but to whom we belong. Who do we serve? Who do we love? Who have we experienced that has transformed everything? The Trinity is that uniting gift among a denominational spread of over 64,000 different versions of Christianity. It is the Trinity, that multiplicity of God that allows us to find a commonality. And perhaps that's the way we should think about the Trinity. We should start thinking about the Trinity not as a rubric to test to make sure that we have the right faith, but as a way for us to consider what God has modeled for us first. That there is a beauty in diversity. That there is something truly holy about recognizing that we are not all the same. God didn't send cookie-cutter images of God's self to the earth, but instead three distinct, different persons. It's not like us who have roles or might, maybe we have titles that we fill, but that we have been connected and bonded to one another, that we have been given the, the means by which in the arrival of the Trinity to connect with people that we wouldn't connect with before. And relationship is the key there. Now, I grew up as an only child for almost 10 years. And it was a beautiful triad that we had, my mother, my father, and me. And that seemed lovely, but I could see other people had different relationships. And I marveled at the beauty of siblings and how they had different relationships than I had with my mother and my father or my friends. And then one day we found out that we were no longer going to be a triad that we would become a fabulous foursome. And it changed everything. Suddenly I was no longer the beloved, but I was one of a beloved. And that I would now have the role of older sister. And that that would change the way that I would interact, not just with my new sibling, but with my parents and with the world. It changes us. Each relationship gives us an opportunity to be transformed. And that is true. And my sister has changed how I am, and she will probably continue to change how I am. But the most fruitful relationships are those where we change each other. We give each other a chance to be perfected by the encouragement that a relationship offers and by the accountability, and above all, by that opportunity to live out the love that we have first received from God. And so relationship is all the Trinity stands for. The relationship between the persons of the Trinity, and the relationship that we are inspired to have. God didn't expect that every single one of us would be the same. And that is not the level to which we should try to rise, but instead to reflect the diversity of the very Godhead, that there is a place for fathers, a place for mothers, a place for grandparents. There is a place for children, sons and daughters, there is a place for those that were born, for those that are adopted, and for those that are honorary. There is a place for those that don't feel that any of those titles quite fit, but a place for those that want to be courageous. They need the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit to help them live out the call to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That same thing which Paul died to give. The same thing that other apostles and Christians throughout the years have suffered and died that we might have. It is along that vein that here in the United States, we have Memorial Day. 
It is that we would remember those that have sacrificed and given of themselves so that we can not just be free, but can have the relationships that God and God's self has died to give us. When Christ died on the cross, it was not because God had to change our hopeless future. It wasn't because we were hopeless people. It was because God wanted our relationship to be without obstacles and barriers. And the obstacles and the barriers that arise in the course of our lifetime are from us, our sinfulness. Even when we are trying not to create them, we do. And so God said, I am going to provide the means by which every single person can be free from their sin and their guilt, can be reunited with me in right relationship, and ultimately that we can discover what right relationship is with one another. That was the power that was given to us that day on the cross. And it is not just for those of the lineage of Israel. It was not just for those early Christians. It's for every human being for all time. And because of that, we are truly those that are empowered to show people what it is like to become part of the family of faith. That it changes everything. It changes our relationships with them. It changes relationships between one another. And it lives out the fruitfulness of the gospel when we embrace that love and then we share it with others. To show someone that they are a beloved child of God is to acknowledge that they have been known and loved by God and that now we yearn to know and love them too. It is to radically transform how we look at other people and not as groups of people and not in opposition, but as those that God has loved as we have been loved and those that God is inviting us to share our experiences and our revelations and receive theirs as well. Relationship is about give and take. It is about recognizing that we choose a connection over anything else. We choose to honor a bond that can be very invisible and sometimes it can feel very tenuous, but it is no less vital. Relationship is what is undergirding every experience with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, not just in scripture, but our tradition, our history, and very much our present. It is what has allowed the church to continue in the midst of unparalleled circumstances and trials and tribulations in a global pandemic. It is what continues to allow us to think of new and innovative ways to be the body of Christ. If we only had one way of knowing God, and if we had moments of doubt and concern, or if we had had experiences in this world that clouded us to that, then we would be lost. But time and time again, God says, I am coming to you. If you can't hear and feel me as the Father, then hear and see me as the Son. And if you can't experience me as either of those, then experience me in that loving voice that rises from within, that speaks directly into your head and your heart, and that connects you with the very core of your being. That was the gift that we received on Pentecost. It's the gift that we still have. It's the gift that we are being asked to share. 
And when we think about what does Trinity Sunday mean, it means that there is a place for multiple ways of experiencing and living. There is a place for a multiplicity and a diversity of people. For God has made it very clear that it is God's intention that there be a place for a multiplicity of understanding and relating to God's self. For us to be a people that embraces distinction and difference, that looks at it as an opportunity to touch more lives and speak in greater languages, that it tells us that we are a people that are distinct and different, and yet our commonality is God. And it's a commonality that overcomes every obstacle, every difference, every chasm, and every sin. That is what should inspire us, to love as we have been loved, and ultimately to find ways in which we can tell every person that they too are beloved, children of God, and heirs. And if we live that message, then what we find is that in every act of kindness, every act of compassion, every expression of love and mercy is the invitation, the desire to see them at the table in the kingdom to come, in the house of God where there are many rooms and the sun has already gone to prepare a place for each and every one of us. That is what is is at stake in sharing our faith. But it's not about parroting a creed or simply spilling out a doctrine. It's about living a relationship. And that is how we have come to learn. The greatest teachers we have in our lives have a relationship with us. We learn because someone is invested, not just in the results of our tests or the final grade of a course. We learn because someone was invested in a relationship with us. And because of that relationship, wisdom flowed forth. And both learned. They learned about one another. They learned about the topics and the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from pursuing that. But above all, two were changed, not just one. And God continues to say, I am impacted by you. We don't always talk about it in the scriptures, but there are so many places where the words and the petitions of human beings changes the way things happen in the Bible. When God chose to illuminate a little bit and share the possibility of what was going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham, God chose to pledge to save that city if 10 people could be found. And when God was so angry over the stiff-neckedness and the, the frozen stone hearts of the people of Israel that were constantly rebelling and complaining after they came out of bondage in Egypt, it was Moses that was able to convince God to spare them and to continue to work on those people. And then there was Jesus, who had a woman approach him who was not of the house of Israel. And she begged him to heal her daughter. And her sharp wit compelled Jesus to save her daughter. God is a God that is eternal and immovable in God's love. But the way in which God interacts in this world is very much impacted by us. It is impacted in the ways in which we allow God to be a part of us and our relationships and our work as disciples. But it is also changed by 
what we ask for and what we yearn to see. And so before he left us, the son said, if you ask for something in my name, I will do it. We have been given incredible power. Are we asking for forgiveness? Are we asking for the unloved to discover that gift? Are we asking that those that have felt ostracized and unwanted can find that they are truly part of God's family? Are we asking that the Prince of Peace reign not only in our hearts, but in our homes and in our lives? What are we asking? For God is saying, if we choose to honor that relationship, I can make this entire world different because of you and through you. The Trinity gives us that hope. The Trinity gives us that challenge. But above all, the Trinity gives us everything that we could ever ask for until we are gathered with God in the kingdom to come and we will never have any needs again. But until that glorious day, we are the ones that have been entrusted with sharing those relationships and cultivating new ones. And in the name of love, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.